If you would open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's bow once again for prayer. Father in heaven, again, we do, as has already been mentioned, are so grateful, Father, for this day we've had, that we would have gathered together as believers uh, to celebrate uh, our salvation, uh, to come together to sing praises to your name, uh, to worship you together as a group, as a family, uh, to pray together, to pray for each other, uh, to hear your word being read, to hear your word being taught and explained. Thank you, Father, for being able to gather together and to share a meal together and to spend time uh, getting to know each other better and enjoying each other's company. Thank you, Lord, again, just for this day and for the great weather we've had. And we thank you, Father, again for our being allowed to gather again tonight. Once again, to come together in the name of Christ. And, Father, as we do each Sunday evening to approach your word, seeking, Father, to understand, seeking, Father, to uh, gain much more wisdom from your word. Uh, that, Father, we may have a, a greater comprehension of life. That, Father, we may live life to the fullest. That, Father, we may live wisely. Uh, that, Father, that we may be used by you in a way that uh, honors you and is beneficial to others. And so, Father, we ask that as we continue our trek through the book of Ephesians, that, Father, again, that you will guide and direct our thoughts and help us, Father, to pay heed uh, to your word. We do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, Paul writes, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Last week, as we were working our way through this passage, we spent most of our time looking at um, verse 15 and 16, uh, again, the command to walk carefully, um, to think about the way we are to live, to not live our lives as fools, uh, and that we are to redeem the time, we are to buy up the time, and we are to do so because the days are in particularly uh, evil and time is short. So this evening, as we begin now looking at verse 17, where again it reads, Therefore, and there's because all these things are true, because we are to walk circumspectly, because we're not to, to live as fools, because we are to redeem the time, he tells us then not to be unwise. And he then tells us what would be unwise. Well, what would be unwise is not knowing what the will of the Lord is. In fact, he says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And of course, there's an assumption there with that verse, with that statement. The assumption is we can know what the will of God is. And that's important uh, for us to remember. Oftentimes, when you hear people talk about that they are unsure as to what it is that God wants them to do, or they're unsure when it comes to God's will for their life. Normally, not always, but normally, they're asking questions that you don't really see wrestled with in the Bible. You say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go to college, and, and I don't know which college God wants me to go to. And so they're, they're waiting, usually, for some kind of a sign or some kind of a word. 
uh, that God's going to give them because there's maybe a little bit of fear that they might pick the wrong, wrong one. And if they end up going to some school and let's say things don't go well, they may even say, I knew it was the other school. Of course, if you knew it, you should have gone there. But anyway, um, uh, or, or, you know, whatever it happens to be, they're, they're, we'll, we'll make statements like that. And um, I think that if, if we live the way we're supposed to live, I don't think those things really become an issue. Our approach, that would be much different. And, and I think as we kind of work our way through some of this, we'll have a better understanding of that. So when you look again at verse 17, uh, a lot of times you hear me uh, uh, read you a, a translation from Wiest Word Studies. Uh, Kenneth Wiest was a Greek scholar, uh, and he did, has a, a four-volume set where he goes through several of the epistles, and he kind of dissects it, looking at the Greek words and explaining them and explaining this, the way a sentence is put together and what that means, really helping us to understand uh, more clearly what, what is being uh, said to us in the Word of God. And then he, he came up with his own translation to kind of help with that, kind of an expanded translation to kind of bring in uh, sometimes what might be missing from the language in English. And so in verse 17, it reads this way. It says, On this account, stop becoming those who are without reflection or intelligence. Which is really a unique thing when you, when you think about it. The idea here is that, once again as believers, we are called upon by God to live our life using the abilities that God has given to all of us. He's given to all of us a mind, and he expects us to use the mind that he's given us. He also expects us to use our mind, assuming the mind that we're going to be using is informed by the Word of God. So as we read the Word of God, as we study the Word of God, as we hear the Word of God proclaimed, that is informing our mind about who God is, about what he has done, about what it is he expects, what he commands. Uh, we are given information as to who we are, what we are like, why things uh, happen, why things are going the way they're going, what's going to be happening in the future, the hope that we have in Christ. There's all these things uh, that are given to us. And so we are to think, but we are to be thinking through the uh, prism that uh, is given to us by the Word of God. And so there's this assumption and, and also a command by God to make sure that we do that. So we're really not allowed just to live life by the seat of our pants. Uh, the idea is to be thinking uh, and, and always to be thinking, always to be reflecting, um, using the mind that God has given us. So the first thing he says then is don't be unwise and don't be foolish. Uh, the, the, the word that's used there simply means this, don't be an individual who lacks sense. Don't be an individual who is not reflecting. So again, What's involved in the word usage is that we are to be reflecting on, and this, as we look at the context, reflecting on the Word of God. We are to be thinking about what we know about the Word of God as we think about things, whether it's, again, decisions we have to make, um, uh, the way that we're going to live, all kinds of things. We are to be reflecting, reflecting on, on what Scripture says, to be informed by the Word of God. We are to not be unwise in the sense that we lack understanding or that we're not reasoning through things. So again, there's this idea of thinking, of reasoning. Uh, but again, this is not where we're left alone to our own devices. Uh, the idea is, is that we are, are reasoning through the Scripture. We are reasoning from the Scripture when it comes to every aspect of life. So the idea then is the unwise person is somebody who's not employing his understanding. Uh, and... 
it's interesting, this word is also a word that's used most of the time in dealing with an individual who's not reasoning through things in the most practical matters of life. So this is not in those once-in-a-lifetime, supposedly huge decisions that we have to make. This is in day-to-day living. In day-to-day living, we are to be thinking uh, from the foundation of what the Word of God has to say. So again, this individual who lives this way, who's living unwise, as he's telling us not to do that, that then becomes an individual who is living in a reckless way. That is an individual who is inconsiderate. You end up becoming inconsiderate of God, inconsiderate of what God has said. You become inconsiderate of others. You become inconsiderate of what is right. uh, Because you're not thinking in a way that God wants you to think. So we sometimes will talk about an individual not using common sense. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing necessarily wrong with common sense, even except it's not as common as we think it is. But common sense for us should be in much more, uh, in particular, be the common sense that comes from or arises from the, maybe the presuppositions of Scripture. All right? So, uh, again, in my dealings with people, uh, part of what I am to be reminded of as I'm thinking through what the Scripture says, that I am to treat this individual, no matter how irritating they are, I need to treat them with respect and kindness because they're made in the image of God. That's, I need to be reminded of that. It doesn't matter how I feel. In this instance, it doesn't matter how I feel. I need to be committed to what the Word of God says. Therefore, I'm committed to this individual and treating them in a certain way. Uh, I'm to be unconcerned. Uh, let's say that I'm dealing with an issue, let's say a moral issue that might make them uncomfortable or I have to take a position that they're not going to like because it appears to be against them. In that situation, I am to be uh, much more considerate of what God has said and what is right than what I'm worried about how they may think about me. Like sometimes we'll say, well, I don't want to make that person upset. But really, often what we're concerned about is that that person will be upset with me. And so we want to avoid that. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we just are obnoxious uh, when it comes to those things. But, but again, the idea is that we are, we are thinking about those things as we engage in this conversation or dealing with these individuals. So again, the believer then is definitely be an individual who doesn't act rashly. Now, again, that's not saying that we cannot act spontaneously. Okay, We don't want to exaggerate what's being said and somehow think that the Bible is telling us that we have to become some kind of a stoic who doesn't ever have any spontaneous emotions, no immediate emotion of joy or sadness or what have you. It's none of those things. Um, but there's a difference between that and acting rashly, where you kind of just go off the handle and do something that makes no sense, something that is, that is dumb or something that is, that is wrong. So again, the unwise fool or the unwise person then, uh, as you look at it, we're not talking about somebody who's, who's a dim-witted person. We're not talking about someone who's a clown. Uh, this is an individual, when you, when you look at the, the family of words that this comes from, in the Greek language, it's used of a person who's lost the correct measure of themselves and the world around him. So that's really very good, because that's what the Bible gives to us. The Bible gives to us many things, and one of the things the Bible gives to us is a correct understanding of ourself, a correct understanding of our importance, and at times our lack of importance. I understand that I am created in the image of God. Because I'm a believer, I know that I have been accepted by God because of Christ. As a result of that, I know that it is unnecessary and unwise for me to try to find ways to feed my ego. 
I have a sense of who I am. At the same time, I don't diminish who I am. I say, well, I don't really want to do this or do that because I'm really nothing. I'm nobody. I have nothing to offer anyone. Well, that's not true either. It's not that I'm, it's not that I'm a guru, but we have something to offer to individuals. I have a proper understanding of myself that would at least be that I'm going to be able to repeat and explain what the Word of God says and live accordingly. So we have a sense of your own self, a correct measure of yourself, and then also a correct measure of the world around you. In other words, I understand why the world works the way it works. I understand what's wrong with the world. We, you know, it's not, it's not a simplistic answer when we say that the world is messed up because of sin. That is simple, but it's not simplistic. There's a great deal with that. I understand why people act the way they act. I understand why if I broach a certain topic with individuals, that individuals may become angry with me. I understand that because I have a proper understanding of the world. Um, I understand that there's a way to approach things and, and at times a way to not to approach things. Uh, there are times I understand how the world is going to respond to me and, and the world may be very negative towards me and whatever the case may happen to be. So again, the, the Bible gives us a great deal. And it's, it's there for us. To, God wants us to know these things. And so, again, the fool then, or the unwise individual, is the one who doesn't take those things into account. He is almost as if that, that's a separate, the Bible is a separate thing. Or maybe what we've done is what has been happening in evangelicalism for a real long time. And I, I do believe that there are many that are trying to correct this. And that is the idea that somehow all that Christianity is, is it's just a message about how to get saved. And that's it. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Done. And we, and we need to get away from that. The Bible informs every aspect of life. What it means to be a Christian is not limited to just this idea, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It is that, absolutely. But what we often talk about, sometimes without really thinking about, is that when one becomes a believer, what, what do we say? I have a relationship with the Lord, with God Almighty. I have a rela- we are friends. I have been adopted as his child. He is my father. There is a, a, um, I have an obligation to him because he's created me, because he's given me physical life. He's given me spiritual life. He's given me a future. So all of those things are really very important. And so we need to make sure that we don't allow ourselves, again, to somehow think of our faith, our religion, our Christianity as being, again, something separate. Again, remember, it's not a phone app. Right? It, it is to be integrated to every aspect of, of our living, of our life. And here, the idea is that it's integrated to every aspect of my life in the way that I think and approach life in every way. So again, the unwise individual then is not a clown, uh, but he is an individual who may lack prudence. He lacks the ability to govern himself. He lacks the ability to discipline himself. He doesn't do so by use of reason. Um, and again, this also includes the idea of acting, uh, uh, or he doesn't show care, or acting without care, or, or no thought of the future. So there's a lot that's packed into just the phrase, ah, don't be a fool, don't be unwise. There's, there's a great there that's kind of presumed in the context that we want to make sure that we don't miss, uh, because we want to live the life that God has called us to live. He does tell us, also then, on the other hand, He tells us, you have the word but, so in contrast to being unwise, understand. So the word understand there in the Greek language means to send together or bring together. It really is this. It's the idea of putting together pieces of a puzzle. 
So you're able to, so you're able to take pieces of a puzzle and, and you're able to comprehend. So if you have a puzzle, of course, usually we're able to comprehend what the picture's supposed to be because we look at the box. You can see the picture on the box. So I, I immediately get what I'm supposed to be doing with the pieces. So understanding the will of God then is this idea of taking bits and pieces of information. It, it's not assuming that we're taking bits and pieces of unrelated information. It's related, but it's understanding and seeing the big picture, not just being lost on just the individual pieces. So it describes then the comprehending activity of the mind. It entails the assembling of individual facts into an organized whole. And then when one collects the pieces of the puzzle, you put them together and you can then see the big picture. One of the things that uh, is supposed to be helpful for us uh, in describing an individual who's mature, when we, when we talk about becoming mature, is a mature individual is one who's able to take a step back and see the big picture. So uh, maybe when you're younger, you're in an argument with an individual over a particular issue, and you're convinced that the issue is one, we need to get this resolved now. And you're going to go almost to the death in arguing it. But the individual who's mature in this particular situation has the ability to look at, let's say, that issue and see the bigger picture. And say, ah, no, we don't, we don't need to die on this now. In fact, that person might even be able to tell that's not even the issue. I know this individual is arguing with you, but you've missed it. That's not really what the problem is. The problem is over here. And so the individual who has an understanding is the one who's able to do that kind of thing. Uh, he's able to comprehend this thing. So it's a mind that understands and grasps concepts, and it sees the proper interrelationship. In other words, it could be something as simple as this, is where um, uh, uh, you go to someone's house, you have a friend with you, uh, let's say that there's a conversation that's taking place, whoever's home it is, let's say they just suddenly, they, they, they just, they, they kind of snap out of irritability and anger, and the other person is like, wow, what's up with them? I thought you said they were a Christian. And so what you're able to do is you say, well, okay, I, I know it looks that way, but here's what's happened. And you're able to put the pieces together for them. Uh, this person their father just died last week. He had a long illness and things didn't go well. He suffered a lot. And you just kind of explain that. Oh, okay. Now, the, But you brought understanding to the individual. You, you understand the interrelationship between events and ideas and what have you. And you're able to bring them together to help. So in the Bible then, this understanding speaks of the spiritual awareness of a man's heart. An awareness that can only be obtained by dependence on the spirit of truth who alone can really decrypt the word of God and guide us into all truth. So, so there is this idea of spiritual understanding, which doesn't mean that you have perfect interpretation of Scripture, but you don't. But it does, again, mean that you have the ability, because you exercise yourself in doing this, you, you find yourself commonly thinking about the Scripture and how it applies to situations. And then as you begin to use that, it helps you in dealing with people and situations. And so, you're, again, so you're able to understand. So um, I'll give an example. Uh, when I was uh, a chaplain at the jail and we had our own dorm, um, sometimes the officers actually got too gung-ho. Pretty soon they started really coming down hard on the inmates in the dorm and saying, you know, this is the Christian dorm. You can't act that way. And I was always correcting them. I said, this is not a Christian dorm. This is a jail I said, I said, this is the chaplain's dorm, but this isn't the Christian dorm. 
There are some Christians in the dorm, and some men are becoming Christians, but is that a Christian dorm? Uh, and I even heard some of them say uh, that there, there should never be any trouble, no one should ever be dishonest because it's the Christian dorm. And I said, well, I, no, that's not true. Uh, in fact, uh, one time um, I walked into the dorm when one of the officers was scolding the inmates. And I, I'm never going to embarrass the officers, so I kind of let it go. And I talked to them later, and uh, they were just appalled at how the inmates were acting. And so they said, you know, of all the dorms in the jail, in this dorm, there should never be anger or even irritability. And I said, ah, actually, I think there should be more. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if you think about it, you do know that most of these individuals are non-believers. Because this, this guard was a, was a believer. I said, most of these individuals, I said, this isn't a church. Because that's how they were kind of acting. You know, like, I can't believe you did this. This is, you know. I said, I said most of these individuals are non-believers. So what we're dealing with every day as I work my way through scripture, is I'm continuing to explain to them that not only are they sinners, but they're much more of a sinner than they ever imagined. Because they think their only problem is, is what they got arrested for. And I know I sold drugs and I shouldn't have done that. And they're oblivious to the fact that they're liars and they're deceitful and they're scamming. They're almost oblivious to that. It's not that they think that they don't do anything else wrong, but they only think that it's this one thing. So here I am trying to destroy that kind of thinking. I want them to know that they are so much worse than they could ever imagine. And that even the good they do is no good. And that they are separated from God, not because they've sold drugs. Or not because they maybe hit somebody. These individuals are separated from God for all kinds of reasons. I said, so if you think about it, here they are, they have all this stuff in their life going on. They got their court case and they're worried about their family and maybe their family's falling apart because they're not there and all this. And here I come along and I'm telling them that it's even worse than they think. Hey, you know, pretty soon as the Holy Spirit works, all the garbage in their life begins to float to the surface because we're turning up the heat. How's a non-believer going to react to that? You can be a lot more irritable. I said, so it's actually amazing that we don't have more individuals snapping at each other. I mean, we're not, you know, I'm not espousing that we excuse if they ever get into a fight, and that didn't happen all that often. I said, but, but there's going to be a, just a greater amount of irritability because these guys are, some of them, they're, they're in the process of coming to Jesus. And to come to Jesus, you have to first realize that you desperately need Jesus, that you don't just need a little bit of a fix. Your whole life is a mess. Your whole life is wrong. So I, I was trying to help that individual think biblically about what was going on there, and then kind of bring the pieces together. So that's what's supposed to be happening um, for the individual who is wise, the individual who has understanding. And of course, in this instance of this, of this passage, moving towards an understanding of what the will of God is. So again, when he says that we should not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, again, this is crucial because of the abounding evil and the shortness of the, of the time that we have. We might be tempted to spend our days in frantic, feverish activity of our own choosing, uh, and we would, we would just be wasting our energy at times if we're panicking because of certain things that, that the Scripture says and we're not really grasping what's going on. So the important thing for you and I to do is to find out what God's will for, uh, is for us each day and do it. And it's not really that hard, because you know, there's a lot of commands in the Bible. Uh, sometimes you hear individuals will, will use a different word than commands. We'll talk about the imperatives. And that, that's a command. So in the Old Testament, we know that we had the law of Moses. And there's, there's 613 commands in the law of Moses. And we're all very familiar with 
10 of those, which is the Ten Commandments. So when you, when you examine the New Testament and you begin to, to look at the imperatives and count them up, because you, know, you don't have like, uh, we, we call it the law of Christ, but you don't have it like laid out on, on tablets. It's just throughout the New Testament. And so others have gone through uh, the Greek text and they've tried to count up all the different imperatives or commands that are given to us in the New Testament. And uh, there's some disagreement on the number, but the most common number is 880. That's a lot. That's a lot of commands. That's, a, that's an enormous number, number of imperatives. Uh, but if you think about it, that makes it really easy to figure out what the will of God is. Uh, his commands pretty much are pretty clear. You know, husbands, love your wife. That's the will of God for you. That's a command. It's an imperative. Um, live with your wife and understanding. I know guys think that's impossible, but it's not. Uh, you might need the help of God, but it's not impossible. He's commanded us to do that. All right. So uh, there's a command to be merciful, the command to be kind. Uh, there's a command to be patient. And you go on and on and on. And those are the, the big easy ones, but there's all kinds of commands in there. Uh, for for uh, fathers, we're told, don't provoke your children to wrath or anger. So, again, an imperative. So, the will of God is not some mysterious thing that we have to some kind, some kind, spend some kind of time in some kind of a mystic uh, trance to hear a message from God as to what it is he wants us to do. It's kind of laid out for us. And so he tells us, look, you just need to be understanding as to what the will of God happens to be. Find out what it is for you that day. That's the way for us to, to live our life in an efficient and effective way. To make it real personal, it would be like this. Uh, let's say that, um, so you know, you have, let's say you have a co-worker. And let's say for whatever the reason, uh, things between you and your co-worker, they're not going as well as they could. There's some tension there. So what is the will of God for you in that situation? Well, just think again through the scripture. Well, the will of God is for me to pray for them to ask God for wisdom, to still treat them with respect, with kindness, seek to understand where they're coming from, treat them and, and seek uh, those things that are, for, that are in their best interest first, as much as possible, as depends upon you, be at peace with them. See, that's God's will. So if you're thinking through that, then you, you are, in a sense, discovering, not discovering something that is unknown to you, but you are discovering the will of God for your life in that particular area. So it's, it's not really all that hard. Again, another reason why it's good for us to, be, to read the Word of God on a regular basis. You know, we have to have the, the long approach um, to our, our lives as Christians and our knowledge of the Word of God as we continue to read the Word of God, as we continue to study, as we continue to hear it being preached and declared, we, there's a cumulative effect. We continue to learn more and more. And so the way that you would think about how you would treat a fellow, a fellow co-worker um, when you were, let's say, in your 20s, and you have maybe a limited amount of Scripture to kind of draw on as you seek the wisdom of the Lord, when you're 40, there should be much more. And so your, your approach to that individual will be much more mature, much more comprehensive. Uh, and then if you're 50, it should be even that much more. So that's the idea uh, that is here. So we need to find out what the will of God is uh, for us, and then we are to do it. We must do that. And, of course, we ask God for help in doing that, but we are to do the will of God. Um, so we want to make sure that we understand. So the path of wisdom is to discern God's will for our individual lives and then to obey it to the extreme. 
basically own it. This is, this is what I must do. Period. I have no choice. This is God's will for my life. For me not to do this is to disobey God. It's to sin against God. So that's why sometimes uh, we need to recognize that we, perhaps we sin much more than we think we do. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, give you a downer. But, you know, sometimes what happens is, is we think about, well, you know, I, I don't lie, so I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And, and, I, and I'm not stealing. And so we think of all these things that we're not doing. Is, yeah, I've got a pretty good handle on, on, on my sin. Yeah, but this coworker of yours, that there's some tension, you're not seeking peace, you're not being patient, you're not seeking to understand them. We can go through maybe a list of 10 or 12 things, and you're not seeking to do those things, and your relationship, you're sinning against God, at least 12 different ways. But it's actually 24, because you've sinned against that person 12 ways and against God 12 ways. So it just it, it gets so we need to, so that's why we need to think through these things. It's it's a it's a pretty amazing thing a a daunting task which again is why we ask the lord to help us it can be you know if you're if you're trying to live kind of in a do this in the flesh it's very overwhelming you're going to fail in this in in about five minutes Uh, and so we need the help of the lord Uh, and then ask the lord to bless our imperfect attempt to obey and perhaps uh accomplish these things he would have us to accomplish with and that's just with one person and there's all these things that we have to do throughout each day. And so we are to be thinking like as a believer. So again, understanding the word of the Lord is virtually identical to Paul's earlier charge for believers to walk in a way where we're trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That is what is pleasing to the Lord. Um, uh, take a simple one. Let's say that you have a disagreement with your wife or your husband and you feel really strongly about it. And so you wake up the next morning and you still feel really strongly about it. What is God's will for you with your spouse? You can answer that. And then are you going to obey? Or are you just going to let it go? I'm going to give her the silent treatment. I'm going to make her think about this for a while. Of course, you might be surprised she's not thinking about it at all. But anyway. Uh, so the thing is, is Paul explains to us that God's will... Uh, uh, as we know, it includes not participating in, unfruit, uh, in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And again, sometimes when we think about that, even though we've talked about that in detail, we still think of it in, in terms of some of those big things. So we want to kind of pare it down to the everyday, practical kind of things that go on in our lives each and every day. Harry Ironside, he was, he was a preacher, I believe up in, in Illinois back in the early 1900s, maybe the 1800s and early 1900s, he said this, He said, the only way that you and I can be delivered from our own natural foolishness is by being divinely enlightened. We do not understand what the will of the Lord is, excepting as we give ourselves to the careful, thoughtful study of his word. So it comes back to to the word of God. And again, why? It's not reading the word of God on a regular basis is not to be a heavy chain around our neck. Sometimes we approach it that way. uh, And... um, and so we have to work on that and ask the Lord to help us to, you know, because that's the flesh. The flesh gets tired and it's, it's tedious. But it, when it becomes a habit, when our attitude changes about uh, the beauty of the word of God, you know, that some of those things will change. And so we, we need the help of the Lord with that. But if we just ignore that, you're not going to be able to discern what the word of the Lord is for you when you should be able to. So remember that sometimes, and maybe it's often, but sometimes for us as believers, the fact that you may not 
have thought about or you're not thinking about what the will of God is for you in a particular situation, that may be a sin in and of itself because you should know. Remember, God knows what we should know. And so that, that's why it's important for us to bring that attitude uh, to living of life. I want to I uh, give you a story. There was a lawyer. His name was Clarence Darrow. Most people don't recognize the name. Well, if you remember, there was a, a movie that was made in the 60s called Inherit the Wind. And that was a movie about the, uh, what they called the, uh, um, the Scopes uh, Monkey Trial. And that was where uh, Darrow was a defense lawyer. There was a teacher in Tennessee. And he was accused of breaking the law because he was teaching evolution in the public school. And so it was a real big deal. And Spencer Tracy played this guy Darrow. So some people, when they think of Darrow, they think of Spencer Tracy. Not the same guy, but he played him in a movie. Uh, and so, uh, uh, anyway, this, that's who this guy is. So, Clarence Darrow, he was, uh, some called him an atheist. I think he claimed himself to be an agnostic. Uh, but there's a story about him that I find really very interesting. There was a debate, a public debate that was supposed to take place that involved him. He was to represent the atheist. Then there was someone else that represented those who were Protestant. Another individual represented Roman Catholics. And another represented Judaism. So the Catholic guy in this debate, he got it first. And he explained why he was a Catholic. And the Protestant guy got up and he did the same thing. He explained why he was a Protestant. Then the Jewish man got up and he explained why he was a Jew. The last to go was Clarence Darrow. He's a pretty clever guy, pretty smart. And this is what he said. He said, gentlemen, I have been very much interested in one thing. I noticed that neither the Protestant, the Catholic, nor the Jewish man ever referred to the Bible, not even once. Evidently, they no longer value this so-called holy book as they used to. Then he went on to declare that he was an atheist because he had no use for the book that they never mentioned. Someone else chimed in and said, what a pitiful thing that professed Christian, that the professed Christian, should should attempt to tell why he was a Protestant and never once referred to the Bible. And so I, I think in that debate, he shouldn't have, but he won. I think he put them to shame. What, what can you say when it comes to that? And too often what happens is we claim that we're the people of the book. That's how, that's how actually in the Quran it refers to uh, Christians as the people of the book. That's what we are to be, the people of the book. And we, we say that we have a reverence for the Bible, but it doesn't really inform the way we think or the way that we live. So I want to uh, go through, uh, I think it's five quick points, very quick, uh, six actually, uh, that comes from uh, one of, there's several different biographies of George Mueller. Uh, George Mueller was known as a man who lived his life by faith. He, 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 wanted, he wanted to do what the will of God was, uh, and he prayed often, seeking the will of God, and, and he was known for living that. He, his story is really quite amazing. Um, and I do believe, I can't remember the, the, the first name of the, of the author, but the last name is Pearson. And I think that was his... Um, I don't know if it was his son-in-law or his grand-son-in-law, but it was a relative who wrote a biography, the several ones, but there's that one by, by Pearson, which is just, it's excellent 
um, in every way. But George Mueller had a practice, and, and so he was asked the question, he wrote this down, so how do you live your life according to the will of God? What do you do? So this is what he said. So number one, well, number one, he says you have to surrender your own will. He says, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to any given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just there. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what um, his will is. And I, I think he's right. It, it's, we don't always think about it, but sometimes you know, when we approach the Bible, we approach the Bible to see if we want to do it. You know, it's kind of, we don't say that, but that's kind of the approach, you know, like, or somebody may read something and maybe there's an imperative in there. And our thought is, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> or maybe what it is is, well, I don't know, it says that, but you don't know my situation. Anyway, so the first thing is really is to surrender your will even before you know what the will of God is. The attitude should be, I want to do what, I'm tired of doing it myself. I know it's not going to work. It's not going to glorify God. Even if it does work, it's not going to work. I just need to do what God wants. Just what is it? I'm, I'm willing to go there. Number two, he says, <clears throat> he says, never depend upon your feelings. He says, I do not leave. When I seek the will of God, he says, I do not leave the result to feeling or some kind of a simple impression. If so, I make myself liable to great illusions. And so again, we... we we live our life, and we obey what God has given to us. God has given to us his revelation. And so we don't go by how we feel. And you'd be amazed. Now, it's true that people may not really mean this when they say this, but it's not uncommon to hear individuals say, I really don't feel that's what God wants me to do. Yeah, but what we're talking about is a command. It just doesn't really matter what you feel. But too often, that's... Now, again, not everybody who says it means it that way, but we do have to really be careful with that. We, should, we, should, we never approach anything in the Scripture or when it comes to what we should be doing and living our life and say, well, we don't feel God wants you to do that. Ah, we need to go back and read the Scripture. We need to, we need to go back to number one and surrender ourselves uh, to what God has said and to say, I'm going to do what he says regardless of what I'm feeling at the time. Remember that oftentimes feelings are the last thing to change. Feelings are the last thing to change. So you can't go by them. You know, they're, they're gonna, they kind of follow along with what the mind and the heart does, so to speak. Then he says, uh, number three, which I've kind of already alluded to, he, he says this, we need to seek the Spirit's will or God's will through God's word. Seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions. If the Holy Spirit guides us at all, He will do it according to the Scriptures and never contrary to them. So again, it's important for us to become more and more familiar with the Bible. In other words, it may not be, you know, as we get older, it does get more difficult to memorize Bible verses, and, and that's... That happens. But we should become familiar with where things are in the Bible. You should at least have a general idea of what's in the book of Romans. You should have a general idea of what's in the book of Ephesians. So if there are things that we're kind of maybe seeking the will of the Lord on, I say, well, you know what? I'm, I, need to go to, I need to read Philippians. I need to read that. 
Or I need to go back and read Colossians. Or whatever it happens to be. That, that's a very good thing for us as believers to have. And it's not that difficult for us to get that. You know, we're not talking about memorizing a book of the Bible. You know, there are those who do that. But, but we, we want to make sure that we're familiar with Scripture. And that's why um, sometimes I encourage people, you know, if you've read the Bible or you've read certain books of the Bible a great deal, because of our human weakness, because sometimes of our laziness, we tend to, when we read things that we're kind of familiar with, in the Bible, we tend to start skimming. And that's why I'm a big advocate of maybe stopping and reading it out loud. Or, because we, we live in a very wealthy place, um, most of us have more than one translation, read it in a translation you don't normally read from. Because it's different. Uh, just enough that it forces us to think about again about what's being said. Uh, so we need to do that. Because just because we're slightly familiar with it doesn't mean that we know it. And we need to know the Word of God. Then fourthly, we do want to take note of our circumstances. It's not that we make decisions alone based on circumstances. We don't want to try to interpret circumstances. That can be very, very dangerous. Uh, so we want to make sure we approach this, approach this the right way. So you don't, want to, you don't want to say, well, I know that it's God's will for me to do such and such because this happened, and I know that would have never happened if it wasn't God's will. Well, that's not true. Read, read the Old Testament. There are things when things can go really well in your life, and that does not mean that you have God's approval. And things can go bad, and that doesn't mean that you have God's disapproval. It doesn't mean that. But we do take note of circumstances. So we take those things into account. Uh, because, again, we may be able to figure this out. So let's say that, um, I'll take something very simple. Uh, let's say that you, you begin to share the gospel with, with, with someone. You know, it's a co-worker. Let's say you, you go to lunch, and so you begin to share the gospel, and they get, they get a little upset with you about that and somebody said well obviously that wasn't the right time the lord didn't want me to do it then no not necessarily because what does the bible say the bible says don't be surprised people get upset don't be surprised they get mad at you don't be surprised they don't like you so that doesn't mean that necessarily we want to think it through uh so we want to make we want to take note of circumstances and and i think it may be simply this um sometimes a person says well you know, I just don't know if, uh, if, if the Lord wants me to share the gospel with my neighbor. They're your neighbor. Yes, he does. That's pretty simple. Philippians, God has placed you in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation that you may shine as light. So, yes, he does. Now, I don't know how you're going to do that. It may be over a long period of time, short period of time, all kinds of ways. Invite him over for hot dogs, whatever it happens to be. But the point is, is yes, that is God's will for your life. It's that simple. All right, so the circumstances kind of help us along with, 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 with that. Uh, also, what we want to make sure we, we always do is we always pray. We, we do want to ask God to reveal his will. Now, again, it doesn't mean he's going to speak from the sky. It doesn't mean he's going to write uh, letters in the clouds. Uh, so we have to be careful with that because, again, we, we, we kind of fall back into this mystic idea of looking for signs. We just pray and ask God for wisdom. And just, as you know, just so you know, in, your, uh, um, in the bulletin, where the notes are for tonight's sermon, across the page, there's a short little article that's kind of taken out of a book written by John MacArthur. It's really very good. Um, and so when it comes to the will of God for your life, and I think that that would be very, very profitable for you. So we do need to ask God to review his will to us, and then sometimes we just have to wait. But I want to tell you a story. I don't think it's a true story, uh, but it's one of my favorite stories. There was a middle-aged farmer who, uh, he, you know, he'd been farming his whole life. He wasn't really very good at it, but he'd been farming his whole life. But he had wanted for years to become an evangelist. 
And so he was working in the field one day. It was a hot day, and so he, he took a break from plowing. And uh, he sat down under a tree, and he was drinking some water and, and thinking. And Anyway, he kind of looked up in the sky, and it seemed to him that the clouds were moving and formed a couple of letters. And he saw the letters P.S. He knew what that meant. God was now telling him, sell the farm, preach salvation. That was God's leading. And so he sold his farm, and he went out, and he began to preach. He was horrific. He was not a very good preacher. Not even after preaching many times. It was, he was horrible. And after one of his sermons, one of his neighbors came up and whispered in his ear. and said, brother, I know you're convinced that when you were there uh, under the tree that day and you saw all the letters P.S. that God was telling you to preach salvation. He says, perhaps, just maybe, what God was saying was, brother, plow straight. So, <laughs> so the, <laughs> the, the point of all of that is that we want to be very careful with how we interpret things. Because they may not uh, uh, seem what you want them to be. But remember that it's not a mystery when it comes to the will of God. There are some things that are not readily apparent to us. You, you live your life. And if you live your life obeying what God has given you, you will find it extremely rare that you do not know what the will of God is. And on those times when that takes place, you'll find yourself much more willing to wait patiently as you pray and ask for direction from the Lord, and I'm convinced he will give it to you in all these different many ways. And you can, you can be content, and you don't have to worry. Uh, you don't have to live your life twiddling your, your thumbs, trying to figure out what to do. You will know what to do. And the Lord will be glorified, and your life will be much, much easier. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the encouragement of the Apostle Paul and the phrasing of the sentence there where he tells us to not be unwise, but to understand what the will of God is. I do pray, Lord, that for each of us here, that that would be the desire of our heart. We know, Lord, that that is supposed to be the desire of our heart. We know that's the correct answer. But there are times that uh, either we don't think about it that often, uh, sometimes we shy away from it because we actually kind of already know what your will might be and we don't really like it. Whether it's we don't want to put forth the energy or the effort or whatever the case may happen to be. So, Father, we, we need your help in many ways. But I do pray that, Father, you would help us to have a very strong desire to, to not be unwise. That, Father, we would not want to be that individual who does not have a proper grasp of himself, of his importance, and at times lack of importance. That, Father, we would have an understanding of the world around us. That we will use the word of God. That we will allow it to shape uh, the prism that we look through to give us understanding of how we are to live our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you have created us in such a way and that you've placed your spirit in us and given us your word that we may indeed know your will. And so we pray, Lord, that we would pray for each other and that we would encourage each other and ourselves to continue to know your will and to live in obedience. And I pray, Lord, that for those who truly seek your will, who seek to live that way, I ask that you would bless them I pray, Lord, that you would give to them a great sense of certainty as they live their lives and seek to do what's pleasing in your sight. And so, Father, we ask now that you would continue to cause us to think on these things, to think about them as believers. And, Father, again, that we may, that we may have your wisdom. 
and again that we may understand your will. We do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.